0: My message for you tonight, look and believe. Two simple steps to look and to believe. Sometimes we can complicate life, but when we look to Jesus Christ, all can be transformed. I'll jump straight into the text today because it links directly to that song, John 3, verse 2 and 3, and then verse 13 to 15. Nicodemus has come to find Jesus and to speak to Jesus. At night, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This evening, I want to issue to you an invitation to be literally born again. The emphasis that Jesus makes is not, I invite you to live better. I invite you to join a church. I invite you to become a holy person in and of your own efforts. The invitation that is given is to be born again. Another way of saying that that's legitimate in the scriptures to say, be born from above. All of you know where your moms are. All of you know that you came from your mom. That's being physically born into this world. But Jesus is... Highlighting for us that there is another realm, the heavenly realm, that we are also to be born into and to enjoy in our lives. Now, I want to look at these simple two ideas looking and believing. And first, we're going to take a little bit of time to look at the person of Jesus, both here in John 3 and then also in John 6. Because Jesus is a historical person, Jesus is someone who lived. 2,000 years ago here on the earth, it's possible to hear the name of Jesus and never take any time to look. To hear the name of Jesus and assume prejudice and so prejudice yourself. To hear the name of Jesus and to say, mythical figure, nothing to do with me. But I want to present to you Jesus as shared in the Gospels, shared in the Bible with us today. And it's that glorious Jesus that saved you and saved me I have no business judging anyone here this evening. None of us have any business judging one another, but we are called to point to him. So in that passage that I read, John 3, 13 through 15, Jesus makes an interesting reference. He talks about a particular story that happened in the time of Moses when they were running around in the desert. Now you know these uh, Israelites, they had a problem, they had a negative attitude, a negative spirit. And even though they were finding themselves a new life, freedom from being slaves, all of them had grown up slaves, all of them had known only the lash of the master and the hunger of a servant's or slave's portion. And yet here they are in a new world, God leading them to a place where they can have a new nation and so on. And while they're out there in the wilderness, they begin to complain again. We, Moses, you brought us up out of Egypt, and we, there's no food, there's no water, we're going to die. You can find this story in Numbers 21, verse 4 through 9, and so what happens is that these fiery serpents are unleashed amongst the people, and they start to bite the people so that many people of Israel died, and they begin to panic because everyone that's bitten dies, and so they come to Moses to say, "What? Well, are we now all going to get wiped out? And so Moses prays, and God gives him an answer. He says, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Interesting story. Where did the fiery serpents come from? Why was it that this pole lifting up caused caused them to be healed These are some of the things that we want to look at today, but I believe that it has a particular practical implication for us this evening. These fiery serpents are a physical representation of a spiritual problem, that of sin. Sin crouches at the door. We see that in Genesis with Cain and God's dealing with Cain. Sin can be opportunistic, like a snake waiting for you to make a mistake, putting your foot in the wrong place. Sin is waiting for you to make that same mistake, putting your own foot in the wrong place. Here, when you're bitten by a snake, you die a painful death. In sin, when we're bitten by sin, it might not be immediate, but we can die a painful death because, as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Now, these snakes come in different sizes. So does sin. We think we know all of the sins. Obviously, there are the ones that we all know about. Murder, rape, adultery, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and otherwise, these are all sins that we know about. You will have a sin in your life that you know about. For me, when I was away from God, that sin was rage. I hated people. All it would take is for you to look at me wrong, and I'd be willing to start a fight. I was angry at God, angry at everything that was going on around me. And so the way that I would feel alive was getting drunk and then starting a fight. What's the sin that you know that is glaringly obvious to you? Maybe it might be a little bit more subtle than that. Maybe it might be pride or envy or jealousy. Maybe it might be that you're authoritarian, controlling, insensitive. Maybe it might be that you have fears that cripple you and a negative outlook that defines everything that you see. These sins that are waiting to ensnare us, that can literally kill us, are all around us. They are part of our human experience. And we are in a situation always where we're dealing with them. Now, let me leave aside the snakes and all of that for just a moment because I know snakes is freaking you out. But let me just say this, that uh, fiery serpents is a little bit like paintball. And have you ever been paintballing? I'm going to have to educate all of you tonight. <laughs> now, you know you walk by people on the street and they're trying to sell you paintballing. Well, what paintballing is, is they give you a gun and then they have this pot that sits on top and they've got these little capsules inside filled with paint. They kind of look like those things you put in dishwashers, but they're full of paint. And you take a gun filled with these paintballs, and you shoot people. And you always know when someone has been paintballing because they're trying to show you their bruises, because the bruises really hurt, all right? Um, and what, pe- what happens when um, you go paintballing is you go into like a forest or somewhere with all of your mates, and you think that you're James Bond. And so you get out into this field, you get out into this forest, and they give you a lovely helmet because they want to protect your eyes. You get shot in the eye, you're gonna lose your sight, they'll get sued and all of that good stuff. So they want to protect your face. But when they put this mask on you, immediately your vision is obscured. And then you start running around trying to be all James Bond. Now, I love it when we go away with the guys to go paintballing because you see they all get camouflaged up, they got their gear on, and they even bring paint, face, uh, face paint, some of them, and they're all like taking it super serious. And it might be that you're observing from the side, watching what's going on, and you see a guy, he's there. Like... <laughs> and every time he bobs up, his head is shooting over the wall that he thinks he's crawling behind. So everyone keeps seeing him. and he, Because he can't see, can't see what's going on with the wall, he's popping up. And then he, he might get down on the floor. And he might think he is sniper man. And he might be lying there. Got some sin lined up in his eyes. Oh, there's an adulterer. I'm going to take him out. There's a murderer. I'm going to take him out. And then suddenly out of nowhere, <laughs> he gets hit in the head. Because he couldn't see what was going on. And you always know when someone is a newbie. Because when they get shot, they'll go, ah! And they reach for the pain, and then they jump up, and the moderator's like, you're out. And by the time they realize that you've been shot, it's already game over. You've already been killed. Now, when you get real good at paintball, and you get hit, you just go like that. (laughs) If if you just hold that scream in, you just wipe that paint off. Someone's looking at you like... (laughs) and clean except when they hit you in the face and when they hit you in the face you look up you see the moderator and right between you is this sin all over your mask let's bring it back to the snakes for just a few minutes we got paintball in our mind the snakes Moses had to teach his people something about these snakes First thing was this, that the snakes were venomously deadly. If you get bitten, your death is guaranteed. In paintball, you think you can just wipe the paint off. In life, we think we can just wipe the sin off. When we've become insensitive to sin, we might be tempted to just think, hey, that wasn't a big deal. That was not a seriously big snake. It wasn't a life-threatening sin. First lesson was that this death was certain because this snake bite was deadly. The second essential lesson was there is only one way not to die. And we might assume that you know, the way to figure out not to die is, hey, find out where I got bitten and you know maybe go do that Indiana Jones thing where you slice the leg and suck out all the poison and spit it out. We might today use language like this. Hey, if something's wrong, you just need to look on the inside of you. Discover what's going on on the inside. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever someone says to me, you need to look on the inside, find out what's wrong with you, I don't know where to start looking. Do I start with... Uh, the fact that I can be too strong with people? Do I start with the fact that I can be angry? Do, do I start with the fact that I'm overly focused on what? What do I start with in order to try to figure out my problem, in order to try enjoy life? I don't know where to start when I look on the inside. I don't know where, whether you know where to start when looking on the inside. Moses had to teach his people this. Don't look to the place where you have been wounded for a solution. When you feel that you have been bitten, I need you to do something really important. What did he need them to do? Look up. And look up what? Look at this bronze serpent that was lifted up. I've got to tell you something. You know this and I know this, uh, that serpents don't have a good image in scripture. Genesis three, we see the serpent tempting Adam and Eve and they sin and fall and so on and it's because of their whole mess that we're in this whole mess and all of that kind of stuff that you read there in the scriptures. But that has given the people of Israel a revulsion with the issue of snakes. And if you have a Christian background, you've got the same kind of issue. Now, I know some Christian people, when I see them praying, they're they're praying. They're praying stamping on the snake. In the name of Jesus! In the name of Jesus! I'm stamping on the serpent's head. You know, i even seen some zoos, right, where they ban Christians from going in the reptile house because they're jumping on into the tank, in the name of Jesus. (laughs) So snakes have got a real bad reputation in the Bible. And what I find confusing is looking at the story in Exodus, Exodus and then wondering why did Jesus say, like the bronze serpent was lifted up, I need to be lifted up. Moses had to train his people to look at this serpent in order to be healed. And they would be in all of their big say, no, no, I don't want to look at that serpent. I don't want to look at that serpent because that serpent is the reason that sin exists in the world. I ain't looking at that serpent. But what do you do when death is, only, is a certainty? What choice do you have when the only thing before you is the fact that you are going to die because of the snake bite or you are going to die because of sin? The only thing we can do is, however hard, however pr- much pride might be gripping our hearts to say, hey, I got no sin. What are you talking about, Gabriel? I didn't come to church to be told that I got sin in my life. You know what? It's only a proud person that says that. So you've got at least that one going on in your heart. But they're there, he's wrestling. No, I don't want to look at, but life is in, life is in looking. Okay. And he turns and looks at that bronze serpent and then something miraculous and simple happens. They get healed. Whatever they were bitten by no longer has the power to kill them. So why did Jesus take that image and apply it to what he did on the cross? The snake is intentionally placed. It's intentionally the image he chose. It's intentionally parallel to what Jesus would have us understand. Remember this, that Jesus is the one that took this image himself. Now let me just say this before I preach any further. I am not saying that Jesus was a snake, and I am definitely not saying that Jesus was the Genesis snake. But this is where we see the true cost of the cross coming into full view. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says this, for he made him who to be sin, who knew no sin. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. I'm sure you're kind of picking up some of the lines where I'm going with this, but basically what it's saying is when Jesus was on that cross, he was made into the very thing that is destroying all of us. When the serpent was lifted up, that bronze serpent represented all of the snakes that were destroying the people of Israel that which was destroyed and was lifted up. When we look to the cross, what we see is Jesus lifted up as sin. And in that moment, in that moment when we're wrestling, in that moment when we're saying, you know what, I don't want to look at that cross. You Catholics, you've got all those cross images everywhere. And you know, you Christians, you've taken Jesus off the cross. you just got the nice wood bit. But I don't ever want to look at the cross. When you get out of your pride and you look at the cross, that is the cost of your sin. It is not just something that you can wipe off. It's not just a little paint mark. It's something that we need to deal with before God and the only way to deal with it is to say, wow, I never realized what my sin was doing. I never realized that the nature that I am carrying of sin was leading me to destruction and that's what Jesus had to do for me to be set free. But in that moment... When you look to the cross, you see something profound. You see sin nailed there for you, but not just sin nailed there to make a public show. Sin nailed there in defeat. In Jesus on the cross, sin is being lifted up to show that the power of sin is destroyed. Colossians 2 says this, He canceled the record of debt, or He canceled the record of sin against you, by nailing it to the cross. Say it a different way. That which is killing you is not being exalted, but that which is killing you is being lifted up to show that it has been destroyed. And the only place of healing from God's perspective is to look upon the cross and say, wow, that is the cost. That is the cost of my sin. Would you Look at Jesus in that light tonight. I'm using language particularly and specifically that I know offends hearts, but I only share it with you because it's the place where I had to come to myself to recognize, hey, I got sin in my life. Not only have I got sin in my life, I'm defined by sin. And you that might be here tonight and have been raging against that reality but not finding answers in all the other stuff that you're doing. Does another drink help? Does another fight help? Does another relationship help? Does another pound help? Does another meal help? Does another bit of gossip help? Does it get you to that place of healing and wholeness that you want and are craving to see freedom in your life? Look, now I have to, whenever I'm taught us to preach the gospel, share that peace. You're probably thinking, we were here for celebration. We were here for having fun, and Javen did awesome, and he's going to come back. So he's going to lift us all back up into that place of worship. But we've got to remember that that's the cost. I can't ever preach the gospel without telling you the truth, that that's what Jesus had to do. But let's take a second look. John 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on that day. We've looked once and we've seen that sin was the cost, but let's look twice and ask, who is this person? Who is this man? Who is this man that would have so much love for us, so much grace towards us that He would be willing to become sin for us? I don't know about you, but if anyone ever says something that I know I didn't do, but they said that I did it, I I didn't have a net, I will fight until I have made sure that you understand that I did not do that. Now, if, if Scott was to come and say that I had eaten the piece of chocolate cake that he'd put in the fridge earlier for himself, and someone said that I ate it, I would deny it. And I tell you what I can deny on two counts. One is I'm gluten intolerant, so I can't eat cake. And second is that Scott had it himself. No, Scott didn't even have a piece of cake. This is how he stays so trimmed. So this, but you know what I mean? I would be fighting to make sure that my name was made clear. And what is Jesus doing going to a cross for you and for me, becoming something that he is not in order to take our place? What kind of a person would do that? When we look at the cross a second time, we find someone who is willing to die in our place. When we look at the cross a second time, we find someone who's not only willing to die in our place, but everything that was to his benefit to give it to all of us. When we look at the cross a second time, we find someone who didn't die to keep us out, he died to bring us in. Say, Father, welcome your children, sons and daughters into the kingdom. Father, give them my inheritance. Father, let them know you like I know you. Father, make them one with us. What a person would do that. And as we look, we see that Jesus starts to tell us some stuff that, I don't know if you've ever dwelt on this. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I died for you so that I can make you all my slaves and you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. He says that Jesus died and showed something. I didn't do this for myself. I did this because of the Father. I did this because the Father is good. You might say, is God good? You look around at famine, hurricane, tsunami, earthquakes, rape, murder, cancer, all of the things that characterize our broken world, you might say, if God is good, why is he not doing anything about all this mess? There's something of a mystery of being at God's level that we will never understand. We see it as wrong. If we see it as wrong, of course God knows that it's wrong. A part of the mystery is that God is inviting us to a life that is beyond this. We live in brokenness here, but he invites us to eternal life there. We live separated from God here. We live united with God in eternity. We live with much suffering and brokenness here, and Jesus entered our suffering to show us that God understands. But through Jesus' suffering with us, he made a way for us to be restored to the Father. The Father is good, and Jesus wants us to know that. That's why he went to the cross for us. And so the two words that I gave you, one was, look, who is it that you see when you look at Jesus? Is it the villain that they paint the story of amongst the atheists and the agnostics? Is it the Jesus that we find in the Bible? When I look at Christ in the Bible, I think, my goodness me, we didn't deserve such an awesome person to come and set us free. Scripture says, believe. We may not understand in full all of the lines that I've drawn here between the bronze serpent and Moses and Jesus and Genesis 3, but we don't have to. Moses only had to teach his people one thing. If you get bitten, look to the bronze serpent. All I have to teach you tonight is you will be getting bitten by sin, no doubt. But the invitation is, and the challenge is, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Why? What happens in Christ? What happens when we look to Him? When we look to Him and believe something powerful happens that will change your life forever, He extends to us a gift that He never takes back. God is not like us. He doesn't give us part-time loan gifts. Hey, as long as you're my friend, I'll leave that with you. And if you betray me, I'll take that back up. No. Eternal life. He came to give us eternal life. And for God, eternal life is this, knowing the Father the source of life, knowing the one that we can have a relationship with forever and knowing the joy and freedom that we can have in him. Yes, we wrestle in this life. Yes, we struggle. I don't know about you, but I'm still struggling with sin. I've been a pastor for, ten, uh, for eight years. About you, struggling? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's the real people in the house. But there's an invitation. It's not an invitation to not struggle an invitation to walk with God and as we walk with God of course he will work unto us a deeper holiness of course he will bring us into greater freedom so that's why it's not our business to judge one another because we'll keep being challenged in the the path that we're walking but to say this hey we can have relationship with God so I want to finish with this would you look afresh at Jesus would you look afresh at the one who gave his life for you Would you think at a deeper level beyond the pithy, castaway, get out of my sight statements that are made about Jesus? Would you look to the depth of what he did for you and for me? And would you believe? In that simple act of looking and believing, you get something that you could never pay for the entirety of your life. I'm just looking at buying a house. I don't know if you've looked into buying a house. 35 years mortgage, dang, that's a lot. And even after 35 years of mortgage, still ain't paid the bill. Jesus says, believe and you will have eternal life. Believe in what? Believe in the one who died for us. Believe in what he does for you on that cross.